It's uh, good to be with you this morning, back here uh, with you. Nice to see familiar faces. I'm really just standing here just this moment. I'm just thinking. I'm actually really pleased that um, we've got people who have come in from Belfast, look, London, Edinburgh. Anyone from Cardiff here? Because yeah. <laughs> we'd have all the capitals. It'd be great, wouldn't it? Really, you know, great. I know you've all come just because I'm here, but um, thank you for that. Nothing to do with any weddings or anything that happened over the week. Um, we're going to look at um, God's Word together. I'm going to just focus on just eight verses in Jeremiah because, you know, I know you're looking at different things and the prophets and the Messiah, uh, and we're looking at that this morning, but it's just, um, those of you who know me, and you, most of you know me quite well, know I can't do big things. Um, so anyway, so we're just going to read Jeremiah 23, uh, verses 1 to 8. And then we're going to just look at that passage in the context of what you're looking at as a church uh, of the Messiah uh, coming and uh, what the prophets had to say about that. <clears throat> so Jeremiah 23. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture, where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified. Nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. So then the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt. They will say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and out of all the countries where he has banished them, then they will live in their own land. <clears throat> so um, when I left here in, in May, um, things were sort of a bit iffy in our nation, weren't they? Um, Boris was um, still sort of raining, uh, if you like. Um, but things have sort of oh, gone really downhill, really quite, they were going downhill anyway. But it took a, quite a dramatic downturn, didn't it, when Boris handed over the reins to Liz. You know, and I know the Bible tells us to, ex to respect those in authority over us, which we do, hopefully. But we're going to hold our hands up and say she didn't do a very good job in the very few days that she was Prime Minister. Um, now she's passed the mantle on to Rishi, and who knows what will happen. Um, now, but um, you know, when you turn on the news and stuff, it's all a bit doom and gloom, isn't it? Because of all the things that have happened uh, in this past year, it's a lot in our nation as well. Out of all the developing nations, our nation has sort of seemed to economically be in, in a worse state than, than any. Inflation running over 11 cents. It's all pretty sort of sad and pretty drastic, really. And we all feel that, and we all know that. Because a nation needs strong leadership, doesn't it? We, as a nation, we need strong leaders. And the people of 
Judah needed strong leaders as well back in the uh, late 7th and early 6th century BC. But they didn't have very strong leaders at all. Uh, their leaders were pretty rubbish. Uh, and the Bible tells us that. Um, their land uh, was, um, had been attacked <coughs> several times. God had told them that he would bring judgment in the form of um, opposing armies. The Babylonians had come. Uh, the Babylonians had come and they'd um, attacked Jerusalem in 605 B.C., uh, and then they came back in 597 B.C. and attacked Jerusalem again. In 597 B.C., uh, Nebuchadnezzar, who was the emperor, the king of, of Babylon, he set up um, his own puppet king. So he took the, the, the uncle of the previous king, who was called Mataniah, and he made him king, a sort of puppet king. He changed his name to Zedekiah, uh, but he made him uh, the king of Judah. Zedekiah was just as bad as all the ones who had gone previously, um, uh, and eventually he decided to rebel against the Babylonians, and so the Babylonians were on their way back. The Babylonian army was on their way back. Um, and God had sent the prophets to, to warn the people that this was going to happen, and Jeremiah was one of those prophets. He came uh, on the scene when Josiah was the king. Josiah was a good king for the people of Judah, but he died in 609 B.C. He was killed in battle. Um, and then the people made Jehoiahaz his son, the king. The Bible has this to say about Jehoiahaz uh, in chapter 23 of 2 Kings. Uh, Jehoiahaz was 23 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem for three months. He did, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Then Jehoiakim became king and he reigned for 11 years. And the Bible says in 2 Kings 23, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Then his son, Jehoiakim, was 18 and he became king. He only was the king for three months. That's when the, the Babylonians came back in 597 BC. And the Bible says he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And then Nebuchadnezzar set up Zedekiah as a king. And the Bible says Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. And he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And this is where our passage comes in, in Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah had been uh, prophesying and preaching to the people, as Nathan said. Um, but now, this is it. Judgment was coming in real time. The Babylonian army were on their way. Doom and gloom. We think we see doom and gloom when you put the news on. Whoa. Can you imagine watching the BBC News in Jerusalem in 595 BC? You know, pictures of the, the Babylon, you know, drone pictures of the Babylonian army on their way to Jerusalem. It was all doom and gloom. But God had not abandoned his people altogether. He was teaching them a harsh lesson, but he had not abandoned them. He had not abandoned the faithful remnant. And so he tells Jeremiah to remind the people once again about the Messiah. God had promised the Messiah. And Jeremiah's task was to remind the people once again of the Messiah. So that the people who were waiting for the Babylonian army to come and knew that they were going to take the city, it was obvious. They'd done it two, twice already. It was obvious that they were going to be defeated. But the people would have hope. And they knew they were going into exile, but they could just live with this hope in their hearts of God's promise that a proper king, a new king, a real king, a king who would uh, reign 
and reign justly and wisely was promised by God. And in fact, these promises in Jeremiah 23 are still promises for the people of God today, for us, if you're uh, a person of God today. Because it's clear when we look at this that not all the prophecy in Jeremiah 23 is yet to come to pass. Some of it has, some of it has not. So we, these people lived in a broken nation in 595 BC, and they had this promise. Now, however much we like to not admit it and say it, really, we live in a broken nation, don't we? 2022, and this promise is as much for us as it was for those people in Jerusalem. So we're going to look at this passage. It's about the Messiah. You know it's about the Messiah, otherwise I wouldn't be um, talking about it, because that's what you're doing as a series. And in this passage, Jeremiah reveals three things about the Messiah. He reminds us or tells us that the Messiah is a righteous branch from David. He also tells us that the Messiah is a king who will reign wisely and also the Messiah is called the Lord of Righteousness. So our first point this morning is the Messiah is a righteous branch from David. Verse 2 of chapter 23 says this, Therefore this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds, that's the leaders, who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. That sort of sums up Jeremiah's message, really, in a nutshell. It's going to be terrible, guys. Judgment is coming upon you. And that judgment is coming in the form of the Babylonians. You don't want to, you don't want to know that. But it's coming. But when you think about this judgment that was coming from God, and God promised this judgment was coming, for your average Israelite, your average Jew in Jerusalem, and you take yourself as an average Jew in Jerusalem, did that not mean that God's own purposes and promises would be defeated if that happened? If the Babylonians came and destroyed Jerusalem, did that mean the end of God's promises that God told the people a lie? Because God promised King David um, that his kingdom would last forever. And this was passed down the generations. So in 2 Samuel 7, verses 11 to 16, <clears throat> this is what uh, David, the king at the time, was told. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over, so when you die, and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, which was Solomon, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, the temple. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever, God told King David. But if Jerusalem was destroyed and all the people taken away, how could that be? The people were no doubt thinking this when the Babylonians were on their way. So God tells Jeremiah, remind the people this. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king 
Who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land? A king is still coming, Jeremiah tells the people. It's not the end. This is not the end. This king will be a branch. Now, that's an important word in the Old Testament for the, for, for the Jews. Later in Jeremiah, he writes this in chapter 33. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. I believe you have Zechariah next week. Is that right, David? Yes. Zechariah 3, verse 8 says, Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. Isaiah 11, verse 1. I don't know if Matty mentioned this last week, because I know Matty did at Isaiah. But God said, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. So the promise of a branch. Now, why a branch? That was so that the people would understand that the line of David would not be broken. That the promised one to come, the Messiah, would be able to take his lineage all the way back to David. He would be rooted in David. That's what that is all about. It would be the credentials of the Messiah, if you like. Now, about 600 years before Jesus was born, a man named Sid Hathar was born in Nepal. We know him as Buddha. Buddha came and he had many things to say about how you should live your life and how to live a decent life and so on. And when he died, um, a religion sprouted from his teachings. But hundreds of years before Buddha was born, no one said, this guy is coming. No one said who he would be. No one said what he would teach. No one said how he would die. He just sprang up out of nowhere, taught for a little while, and died. That was it. That's not the promise of the Messiah for the people. The Messiah was promised to have this lineage that goes all the way back. He'd be rooted in the Old Testament. And that, as we know, is who Jesus is. It, it was one, one of the commentators that I read um, said this. It's so the people knew that when the Messiah come, he wouldn't just say, ta-da, I'm the Messiah, guys. No, they would know who he is because he'd be able to say, I am from the line of David. You can trace my lineage all the way back to the king, which makes me a king. I am the king descended from David. And I know you know this, because this is the point of these messages. But it's important that we understand that. It's important that we know that Jesus is rooted in the Old Testament. The New Testament starts like this. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. We take him all the way back. Jesus just didn't spring on the scene and say, Hi, I've come to teach in Nazareth. We could take his lineage all the way back. And that's really important. When Pilate had Jesus crucified, he had a sign displayed, didn't he? This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. It was meant to mock Jesus and mock the people. But it was true, wasn't it? It was a true word. Because Jesus was rooted in King David. That's who he was. He was that righteous branch, the Messiah, promised by God through the prophets. That takes us on to our second point this morning. The Messiah is a king who will reign wisely. 
Now, people need leadership. Nations need leaders. God knew that. So God gave the people leaders, didn't he? He gave the people Moses. Then he gave the people Joshua. Then he gave the people judges, culminating in Samuel. These were leaders God gave the people, but they were just mere mortals. They made mistakes, as we all do. Eventually, the people decided they wanted a king, because all the other nations had a king. You may remember this. We spoke about this earlier in the year. This was God's people rejecting God's ways. In fact, they were rejecting God himself. Um, when they told Samuel, we need a king, Samuel uh, went, he was the large, last judge, he went to God himself. He said to God, they say to me, give us a king to lead us, and this displeased Samuel. And he, he went to, he, taught, he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said this to him, listen to all that the people are saying to you, it is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. And so Saul became king. He didn't do a very great, good job. Um, but then they, God gave them David, who was a great king, and his son Solomon. But they were mere sinful men. They made mistakes, as men do. God said this would happen. And then if you go through, and just from my introduction, you can see, as you go through the, the books of Kings and Chronicles and look at the kings, most of them did evil in the eyes of the Lord. But God warned them that was going to happen. Now the people are in Jerusalem, go back to that, you're there in Jerusalem, you're waiting for the Babylonians to come. And it's clear, isn't it, that kings just don't cut it. Kings, they're selfish, they're petty, they have their own ideas, which are very often not the ideas of the people. They have their own agenda. It's the bad shepherds that have brought the Babylonians and the rejection of God. So God promises the people, I'm going to give you a king. A king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. Because none of the other kings did, really. A few of them, Josiah, Solomon, David, but not many of them. This would be a king unlike any earthly king they'd ever had or knew. A wise king. A king who would bring security and peace to the nation. Isaiah spoke of this king. Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government of peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. A king Isaiah said. Daniel said the same. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Hundreds of years later, a young virgin was told that she would give birth to this king, wasn't she? Luke 1, 30-33. An angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. A king is going to be born to you. 
The Magi left their homes. Why did they leave their homes? They left their homes to find a king, didn't they? Matthew 2, verse 1 and 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, the king, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and said, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. When Jesus began his ministry, he met a guy called Nathaniel. Nathaniel said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And eventually, Jesus himself declared that he was that king. When he'd been arrested, and he was there at his trial, and John 18 says this, Pilate went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked. Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it to you? Uh, what is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now, my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying, I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. I am the king, Jesus said. Now, of course, people will argue, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Jesus, he didn't reign. He didn't sit on a throne. He didn't reign while he lived. He was born as a, 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 in a poor household, lived a very poor life, died on a cross as a criminal. He didn't reign at all. But all the way through this kingdom, uh, this kingdom we've talked about that's going to be established, there's very important words when the prophets talk about this kingdom. It's a kingdom that lasts forever, established forever. And one day, I'll take you back to Revelation, that kingdom is going to come in its fullness, isn't it? Revelation chapter 19 says this, verse 11 to 21. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider was called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on, on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of the God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh is his name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. When Jesus returns, he will come in justice to rule, rewarding the faithful and bringing judgment on those who have refused him and refused God. He's the king that Jeremiah speaks about in Jeremiah 23. The king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right. The king who will save and, and bring safety to Israel. He's coming. 
He's coming soon. And he will reign forever with unwavering wisdom. The Messiah, the King. That's who the Messiah is. And lastly, thirdly, this morning, Jeremiah says the Messiah is called the Lord our righteousness. This king has a name, a personal name. Jehovah Sidkenu. We translate it as the Lord our righteousness. It comes from two Hebrew words, the Hebrew personal name of God, Yahweh, and the Hebrew word for straight, Sedek. It's important to understand the, the context of this in Jeremiah, in the Jeremiah 23 especially, because Nebuchadnezzar took Mataniah and changed his name to Sedekiah, which means God is righteous. Whether Nebuchadnezzar was having a bit of laugh on the Jews because judgment was coming from God and the, the, the Babylonians were the ones who were bringing that judgment, we don't know. But he changed his name to that. God is righteous, but Sedekiah was not a righteous man. But the Messiah would be, the king who was coming would be, the promised king would be the Lord our righteousness. This was God's promise. God had told the people right from the very beginning that to be straight, to be right was very important. He gave the people rules, laws. The church where we are at the moment, we've been going through Leviticus. All those laws about being straight, that's all about Sedek. This is it, being straight before God. But of course, people couldn't be straight before God. That's why God gave the sacrificial system. Job said, how can a mere mortal be righteous before God? The psalmist, David, writes this, The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away, all have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. All have turned away, all are corrupt. No one does good, not even one person, not even me who's writing this psalm, David says. Paul plucks those words from Psalm 14 and places them in Romans 3, closely follows that in Romans 3, 23 with the words, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God required his people to walk in righteousness, to be straight. But the very context of this passage reveals they couldn't do that. The Babylonians were coming to judge the people because the people couldn't be straight before God. Daniel was one of the young men taken away in the first, we think probably the first uh, invasion of the Babylonians in 605 BC. In Daniel 9 we have this prayer, Daniel's prayer. Daniel uh, chapter 9 verse 7 and 8. Lord you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of, <coughs> the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel both near and far in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you, we and our kings, our princes, and our ancestors are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. God scattered the people. That's in Jeremiah 23 as well. God would bring them back to Jerusalem, to the land, as he promised in Jeremiah 23. God would bring them back. But they still wouldn't be straight they still wouldn't be able to be righteous. They needed a king with the name Jehovah Sidkenu. 
someone who could be righteous on their behalf. Isaiah wrote about this Messiah, this king who would come in chapters 52 and 53, the one who would be despised and rejected by men, the one who would take up our infirmities, the one who would be led like a lamb to the slaughter. And at the end of chapter uh, 53, he says this, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. This servant that Isaiah wrote about is Jesus. This king that Jeremiah writes about is Jesus. This Lord is Jesus. Jesus is the Lord, our righteousness. That's who he is. That's what the Bible says about him. God made him who had no sin, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How do I become the righteousness of God? How do I become righteous before God? I can't be straight. I can't walk straight. I can't do that. Everyone in the Bible tells me that. How can I do it? Only through Jesus, the Bible tells us. The Lord, our righteousness. Paul contracted all that theology in the Bible down to that one sentence. God made him who had no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God promised one who would walk straight on my behalf. The Son of God himself, Emmanuel, God with us, the Messiah. Jesus was perfectly righteous. Perfectly righteous for me. Perfectly righteous for you. And if we have faith in him, that righteousness is given to us through the grace of God. In between Paul quoting uh, David in, in, from Psalm 14 and writing for all of sin and fell short of the glory of God in Romans chapter 3, he says this, Therefore, in verse 20, therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. No one's declared righteous. By all the things that you do, everything that you do, you aren't declared righteous before God. I said this yesterday at the, at the um, wedding, Tom and Molly. doesn't matter what you do, no matter how many songs you sing, how many PowerPoints you read, how many notes you take, how much Bible reading you do, how many songs you play, how many sermons you preach, how many prayers you pray. All that work will never make you righteous before God. It's a product of righteousness, but it won't make you righteous. That's why Paul had to write after he wrote that in Romans 3, 21 and 22. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. The Lord our righteousness. Again, yesterday at Tom and Molly's uh, wedding, we thought about um, two scriptures from Isaiah. I'll read them again. Isaiah 64, 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. But then Isaiah 61.10 says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. 
as a bridegroom adores, adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. So does God see my filthy rags? Does God see my filthy rags? No, he doesn't. He doesn't see my filthy rags, not at all. Why doesn't he see my filthy rags? Because I've been given this robe of righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. Praise God. Gifted to me through faith. A gift of God to me, to you. Why? Because... Jesus is the Lord of our righteousness. That's why. That was God's promise to the people. These people would had to try and understand this. They would never see it for themselves, but they had to have the faith to believe that it was going to happen. Just like Abraham had faith all those centuries beforehand. And it was credited to him as righteousness. These people had to have that same faith. They had to believe that the Messiah was going to come. He would be called the Lord our righteousness and he would make them righteous if they just believed in God's promises, just as Abraham did. And that's God's promise still today. Here we are, we're two and a half thousand years later, still God's promise to the world, isn't it? The Lord our righteousness. I'm going to finish. Conclude. The news is full of doom and gloom, as, as I said. Admittedly, that, that you know we all suffer with the cost of living crisis, but we have to agree that national leaders let us down. People let you down. Who's not going to let you down? The Lord will never let you down. That's what He's saying to the people here in Jeremiah 23. Look, guys, the shepherds—they let you down, but I'll never let you down. Just believe in what I have to say. God brought these exiles out of Babylon, just like he said he was going to. In that last verse, it says, they won't say that the Lord brought you up out of Egypt. They'll say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and out of the countries where he banished them. He brought them back to Jerusalem. But did they live in safety? Because he promises that in those days, Judah, when this king is reigning wisely, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. Well, did the, the Jews live in safety? Did they? No, they did not. It wasn't long before Alexander came across, didn't he? Alexander the Great. And then, of course, when Jesus was born, they were an occupied territory by the Romans. The Romans would eventually destroy Jerusalem again and disperse the people. And it would take the Jews, what, 1,900 years, nearly, to get back to Israel in the middle of the last century. But have they lived safely since? Has that prophecy come true yet? No, it hasn't. Because they still don't live in safety, do they, in Jerusalem? The day has come and gone when the branch of righteousness has come and brought that righteousness. But the day is still to come when he will reign supreme and bring that safety in. For Israel, the church, the spiritual people of God, that's who he's talking about. That's me, that's you if you make up the church. We are in a season when we celebrate the first advent, but this is looking to the second advent of Jesus Christ, isn't it? Which we should always be doing. We should be living in that all the time. And in our dark days in which we live, 
doom and gloom everywhere. This is where we pin our hopes, don't we? I am not pinning my hope on Rishi getting inflation down to 6%. Ooh. I'm not pinning my hope on England winning the World Cup. I'm not pinning my hope on anything like that. I'm pinning my hope on Jesus coming back, the Lord my righteousness returning, and bringing in this kingdom that Jeremiah all those centuries ago spoke about. And to be part of that kingdom, you have to, you have to be able to say, personally, you have to be able to say, the Lord is my righteousness. It's like I can. I can say to you this morning, God doesn't see my filthy rags. It's not a filthy rag, by the way. I'm not bemoaning my wife's cleaning skills. Um, but God doesn't see who I am, doesn't see how sinful I am. He sees my robes of righteousness because he sees me in Jesus. And he needs to see you. Do you have that faith in Jesus today? If you do, then hallelujah, praise God, celebrate, rejoice in that. Be excited about it. And that's where you pin your hope. All your hopes are pinned on that, that the Lord is your righteousness. And it doesn't matter what happens. God is coming back. Jesus is coming back for you. But if you don't know Jesus as your saviour, think about this. You need to exchange your filthy rags for a robe of righteousness. You can only do that through faith in Jesus. That's what the Bible tells us. But you can wear that robe of righteousness that God promises through faith in Jesus. But God will see that. So that when Jesus returns, and it'll be soon, he will take you into his kingdom to reign with him forever. Let's pray. We close. Shall we? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord. We thank you for your word, Lord. What a, what a joy it is to our hearts. What an encouragement it is to us, Lord. As we, we live in days when perhaps we are, the, the world is full of doom and gloom and we get fed up with that. But I pray, Lord, that this just gives us something to, to think about, especially perhaps uh, over the next week, pin our hopes on, focus on. Lord, we don't know what our news will reveal over these next few days. But Lord, we know that your word reveals the truth to us and your word has revealed the truth that you have given us a king, and that king is coming back soon. And Lord, we long for that day. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We say as your people. Until that day, Lord, help us to live for you, Lord. Help us to shine for you. Help us to show everyone, Lord, that they need to, this righteousness for themselves. Help the people in this church to do that, Lord. Pray for them as they go out and deliver leaflets or get, perhaps get opportunities to talk to people. But they might be able to share the truth of what your word says. Lord, if there's anyone here in this building this morning, Lord, who, who can't honestly say that Jesus is the Lord, their righteousness, I pray, Lord, that you will open their hearts. Lord, faith is a gift from you, given by grace. And we look to you, Lord to bring salvation into people's hearts before Jesus returns, Lord. Lord, be with us as we just have fellowship, tea and coffee, Lord. Be with the, the church family as they meet again this evening around your word. 
I pray, Lord, that as we go into this Christmas season, Lord, whatever church we're part of, whether it's here in Sunderland, whether it's in Belfast, Edinburgh, London, whether it's in Ipswich, wherever that church might be, Lord, I pray, Lord, you will help us to proclaim your name and the truth of what this season means for us as your children. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.